What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everyone. I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Storytelling and community comes hand in hand. I once heard a really good definition that I liked of community that said, a community is a group of people with shared stories. And if you think about any community that's ever existed, any community you've started, any community you've been a part of, think about how stories have played a role. Of course, there's the founding story of the community, how it first got started. But as the community grows and matures, members start having experiences together. They may go through some hardships, right? The community might struggle for a while and break through. There's funny things that happen inside jokes form. More and more stories show up in the community. And it's those stories that essentially creates the culture, the texture, the flavor of your community. And there's no greater expert that I've spoken to than Gabriel Dolan, who's our guest today on the topic of stories. She's published seven books on storytelling. Her most recent book, Magnetic Stories, talk about what goes into having a great story? What makes a story magnetic? How do you come up with your story? And I know what you're thinking because it's what I always think when I hear stories, uh, when I hear anyone talk about stories rather, it's that, well, I don't have a great story. My life's not that interesting. I don't have a hero's journey or anything like that. But we talk all about that and how everyone has a really great story in them. Every business has a great story. Every community has a great story. Because a hero's journey, that kind of epic tale, that only applies to some stories. And actually, it's just about getting very specific about situations and what you learn from them that make the message much more compelling. And it's cool because what we talk about in this podcast is how you can bring storytelling into lots of different parts of your community, right? Like, what about your onboarding? When you bring in new members, do you just talk about your rules and your values? Do you just say how the community started? Or do you actually tell a story that embodies why this is one of your values, why this rule exists? Stories make it so much more memorable. It makes people connect to it on an emotional level. I haven't stopped thinking about stories since this interview. I think you're all going to absolutely love it. All right, let's dive in. Oh, and one more thing. Remember, we want to hear from you. It's always hard in podcasts to be broadcasting and not get to hear back from all of you, especially for community builders like you. I want to know, is this content resonating? Are you learning from it? What are your insights that you want to add? So please email us at pod at cmxhub.com and let us know what you thought of the episode. Share your own experiences, share your own insights, and we'll be picking some of your great responses to include in future episodes at the end of the episode. All right. So pod at cmxhub.com. Let us know what you think of this episode and you'll have the chance to be included in a future one. Thanks so much. Gabriel, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. It's good to be here. 
Well, I guess I should say welcome back to the show because you and I recorded a fabulous interview and we lost it. The audio didn't save somehow and all the magic that happened in that discussion went poof, gone, and now we are the only two people who know about it. (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to mention it, but you know, I'm sure we'll discover the magic again today. (laughs) I feel like people should know the context. And we were saying before we started recording how it's interesting how we have thousands of conversations in our daily life that don't get recorded. And that's not a problem, right? Like you have a deep conversation with a friend that's just for you two. But as soon as you try to record it and then it disappears, it feels like this ultimate tragedy. (laughs) Maybe it's a bit like when you go out for dinner with a best mate and you have really good conversations, but you drink too much wine and then you can't remember it the next morning either. That's kind of like what happened, except we can. I can remember this. I didn't drink too much during our interview. I don't know about you. This was water. <laughs> Same. Nice and early in the morning for me, being, yeah. the, uh, being in Australia. That's right. Yeah. It's five o'clock somewhere, but definitely not where you are. No, definitely not. <laughs> well, I'm very excited. Now I get to talk to you even more. And you have so much interesting stuff to share on the topic of storytelling and how it applies to community. Would love if you could just share to start your story of how you got into storytelling. And I know you've kind of discovered it when you were working at National Australia Bank, which you were there for 17 years, Mm. quite a run. So how did storytelling become such a big part of your life? I was at the bank for a long time, pretty much most of my corporate career. But one of the really good things when you work in a large organization, you not only get to change jobs a few times, you actually get to change careers. So I started there as a in technology as a mainframe computer operator, which is really showing my age because that was about, you know, 25, 30, 35 years ago. My goodness. And as I progressed through the ranks and stepped into more leadership roles, and in the, my last couple of years at the bank, I was actually in some change management roles, so leading major change. And what I started to notice is that when I was trying to influence people, that when I shared a story, it seemed to have a bit of a more of an impact that people actually sort of understood the message and not only understood it, but remembered it. So I sort of started deliberately play with storytelling in my last couple of years in corporate. I came across a couple of books that had been written. One was written by Steve Denning, who used to be an ex-senior executive at the World Bank. And I think reading that book and the fact that it was written from someone from the World Bank, it sort of gave me the confidence that this is a credible thing. I was at the bank for 17 years and I'd left 17 years ago. So I've been out for 17 years and teaching business people how to communicate more effectively and influence more effectively using storytelling. Very cool. And so now you've written a book, Magnetic Stories, yeah. all about storytelling. What was that journey like? How'd you get to ultimately becoming someone who could write a book on this topic? <laughs> I'm very surprised that I've written a book and it's actually my seventh book, David. So That's, I think yeah. the only person more surprised than me about the fact that I've written seven books would be my English teacher in the final year of school <laughs> because I actually failed English. <laughs> I just, I failed by 1%. I was like, oh, so close. But I guess I wrote the first book about 10 years ago and Mm. I'm doing storytelling for now for 17 years. It was a pretty new thing. Like no one was talking about storytelling in business 17 years ago. In fact, a lot of people would laugh at the fact that I left a very senior, secure role to teach people storytelling. So I wrote Mm -hmm. a book after about five years. I co-wrote this book with another woman who I was working with at the time. 
really just teaching people how to do it. And then, you know, as you evolve, as your thoughts evolve, and every time I write a book, David, I go, I don't think I'm going to write another book. And then things Mm -hmm. happen and you just, you pick up more experience, you speak to more clients, you develop your ideas, your thoughts evolve, and you just think, I could write another book. And yeah, the All my previous books were very much internally how you use storytelling to lead your teams internally on to communicate values and things like that, where the latest book is pretty much more of an external focus. So how you use stories to still connect with your customers or your employees, but also your customers as well. Got it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting what you said about people would be shocked that you left this corporate job to go teach people about storytelling. And I think storytelling is this interesting thing that's still in the business world. To some extent, people perceive as very fluffy. It's not seen as a a business tactic, storytelling. So how would you answer somebody who says like, this is fluffy stuff that I don't really have to care about in the world of business? Yeah. When I first started this 17 years ago, I had a lot of that. I had a lot of people going, storytelling is not credible. It's not professional. We wouldn't use it. It's less and less people ask me that question. But I guess when I do, I sort of say to them, I go, okay, so you probably don't need storytelling if every time you communicate, people understand what you're saying and can remember it. So if you're doing that really well, then you probably don't need it. And they go, oh, well, you know, that's not always the case. And then I go, and if you can influence people all the time where you get people on board and whether it's buying your stuff or buying into an idea and they're fully engaged in it, then you probably don't need storytelling either. And they go, well, no, well, we've got a bit of a problem with that. So I, what I tend to do is to point to the problems that storytelling can solve. And if someone said to me, no, I don't have a problem, everything I can communicate, people get and understand, and we don't have an influence problem, our employees are fully engaged with everything they say, then I'd go, good on you, you don't need storytelling. But can I find out what you're doing? Because that would be a miracle mm-hmm. if that was the case. Mm. And what about community building, right? Like a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are community builders and their goal is to motivate people to join their community, to participate in their community, to feel connected to each other. How do you see storytelling playing a role in how people connect to each other? Yeah, it's. I would say it's a critical role for when you're trying to build community. And pretty much when I, the vast majority of my clients are large organizations and This whole concept of trying to get their employees engaged and connected to a purpose or a strategy or values is pretty much building a community. Mm. You want to connect with people. You want them to connect and engage with people. So it's the same principles apply. If you're wanting, if you're trying to get people to join your community and get really engaged and connected and excited about it, then you're going to need stories to do that. The other thing with building communities, why storytelling is really powerful, if you're sharing good stories that gets them excited and connected and engaged, the real power of a story is they will be able to retell the story, which means it's sort of, you know, really good stories can have this ripple effect. So it's not only you just recruiting, for want of a better word, people into your community, it's actually your members that can share the stories and recruit people into your community. So. I see storytelling as a critical path to get people excited about your community and then ongoing stories to keep them engaged. Yeah. I've heard before too that storytelling is kind of core to community building because communities in some ways, or I've heard people define it as a set of stories that we tell each other. 
And it's also how it spreads, right? Because it's hard to communicate why something exists, why a community exists. But if you have a story, then people can repeat that story and use that as a way to communicate like this is who we are as a community. Mm-hmm. As a community evolves over time, it gains more stories and experiences that become a part of who the community is. And now growing the community or bringing new people to the community is really just a matter of telling the stories of the community and seeing who connects with that story. Yeah. And it's not only stories about why the community, what we're trying to do, why we're important, but it's also stories around the behavior and the values of the community. And when you look at the word community, it could be as simple as like your family is a community. Mm. What stories are you sharing to say, this is okay in this community and this is not okay. Like we don't tolerate this. And whether then that goes to a wider community it's the same, again, it's the same within organizations. It's the stories you share to sort of, to get people to understand this is why we do what we do. These are the values that we feel are really important. These are the behaviors we live by. And I don't think you can do that without stories. And I should say, a lot of the work I do in organizations around storytelling is around how they bring people into the, how they onboard. So You know, how you onboard employees, it's all around really good onboarding programs should have a whole lot of stories because it's through the stories that we sort of go, it's almost like setting the rules Mm. of the community. These are the rules of the community. Earlier this year, David, I had the amazing opportunity in between the many, many lockdowns that we've had in Melbourne. Did you know Melbourne the other week, we won the record for the most number of days in lockdown in any city across the world. So. Yeah, yeah, we were going into lockdown really, really quickly. But in between several lockdowns this year, we were fully open and no COVID anywhere. And I travelled to Northern Territory in Australia, which I'd never been to, and went to, you know, did the Lara Pinta trek and went to Uluru, so Ayers Rock. And if you want to, you need to look no further than the power of stories in community than Australia's First Nations people, which Mm. is the oldest culture in the world. They're saying over 65,000 years, but some people put it at over 120,000 years. And seeing those, everyone's familiar with the cave paintings and stuff, Mm -hmm. but all of them were to tell stories. And they were what I found out on that trip, that all those paintings, those caves with paintings in them were the teaching caves. So that's where the kids would go and the adolescents would go to learn the stories mm. and they were all the stories about the how we behave, the values we have. So you'd see lots of caves that would have no paintings at all, but they were like the men's caves or the women's caves, but all the cave paintings were about teaching and they were teaching through stories. It's the Australian Indigenous, their Dreamtime stories have stories that have been told for tens of thousands of years mm. to relay a message. And because people understand it through the story, remember it, and clearly have been able to retell it. Mm. It's such a compelling idea. And I mean, you look at religions that have existed for thousands and thousands of years, it's driven by storytelling. It's people telling stories to each other and that continuing to be passed down. And I love the concept of building storytelling into onboarding, which is a really relevant thing for any community builder because onboarding new members is a constant part of our job. And I imagine most of us, like I have in the past, we look at our onboarding as, hey, this is what our community is about. This is how to post. Here's how to engage. Here are the rules. Great. Go ahead. Go. Right. And there's probably very little storytelling built into 
that experience of entering the community and, and learning about who's in there and what it's all about and the culture and the community. I think just that simple idea of how can you incorporate storytelling into the onboarding would actually make for such a more compelling and meaningful and effective onboarding than what most people do today. Yeah, I think it's critical because you're right. Most onboarding programs talk about the things, well, first of all, just the basic stuff like OH&S, but they talk about the things that we should do that are allowed Mm. and the things that aren't allowed. And they're normally just listed as the rules. But I would be saying to bring them alive, how do you share stories around that? I remember, David, this isn't a work-related or a community-related one, but I guess it's an example of onboarding. We put in an in-ground pool about 18 years ago. So we got two daughters. They were pretty much like one and three at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was it's a pretty small pool, right? So it was a pretty small pool. So as they got older, one of the rules we had was when there's other people in the pool, you're not allowed to jump in the pool. Because what I was seeing is eight kids in the pool and everyone's jumping in. And I'm thinking, this has got disaster written all over it. And So, but instead of just saying, you're not allowed to jump in the pool, I said, I'm not allowed to jump in the pool. And then I told them the story when I was younger and my younger sister, Arnie Alley, jumped in the pool really close to me and smashed my front tooth. And I'm telling them the story and I go, Arnie Alley got into so much trouble from Nana. And then they kept going, mum, tell me that story. Like when they were really young, they loved hearing the story. I think it was just the concept of Arnie Alley, so like a big adult getting in trouble right. from their grandma. Sure. I think that's why they loved it. But I remember about three, four, five years later, every time they had friends over, they would say, you're not allowed to jump in the pool and they would tell the story. Mm. And I remember when I heard them telling their friends, I mean, it was like, that's the power of stories. But it's also the critical reason why you need stories around behaviors and values and rules because why? The story explains the why. And if you're not explaining the why, then it's not really making an impact. Mm. Do you have a format that you see businesses using that's really effective for telling a story? Right, We have cave paintings for some communities, but for a business, a lot of us working in the cloud, is it like recording a video? Is it writing it out in a written format? What's the format that you find works well for businesses? Yeah, look, I think when it comes to storytelling, the first step is actually getting the right stories to share. But then you can become really creative with the way you share stories. I mean, even let's look at something like an onboarding. If you were running them, like a lot of large organizations run them in person and Mm -hmm. anyone that's joined the company in the last month goes through this onboarding process. So, you know, one of the most effective ways is verbally in person. But recording the stories, I've seen companies record from their senior executive team, will record a video, a really short video, because first of all, the story should be short anyway, of the value. So I worked with one company where each of their exec team had to record a personal story about what one of the values and those videos, Mm. then they can go on the website. They absolutely form part of the onboarding process. So you absolutely record them. You can write them. I've seen some people put stories on shoes. Now, granted, it was a shoe company. (laughs) You can do it shoes, but you can get really, really creative. So I think stories are so powerful. They're in the written format. So written video, and then you're sharing them. Like you don't have to just leave them from the induction program Mm. or the onboarding program, sorry. 
How are you sharing them? I know a lot of companies that share their stories on LinkedIn, like externally, on other Facebook and other social media, maybe just internally on their Yammer or workspace platforms or whatever they are, but like finding them and sharing them, sharing them often. Mm. Yeah. So lots of different formats you can use kind of depends on what will work with your audience. I like the idea of like the live onboarding. Actually, something we talk about sometimes for communities is doing cohort-based onboarding. So instead of just having a rolling kind of new member, new members joining and they get automated through the process, having a cohort that joins in X timeframe and then you can bring them all into the community together. And that's an opportunity for you to tell the story live. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, that's exactly bringing cohort meetings. But even if it's just one person, you can still share that story. Mm. I um, I might share an example with you, David, because I think this is a really good example sure. of not only the story is a great example, but the woman who shared it, she, every time someone comes and works with her, like an individual, she will share this story. But then every time she moves, so she might move to a new organization or internally to a different team, she shares the story to the entire Hmm. team. So she shares it to one to many or one to one, whatever the situation needs. But what she's told me that every single person that works for her, that comes and works for her, hears this story because she understands the power of it. So before I share the story, the, the setup, the reason she shares is because one of her values was around doing the right thing. Like she's a This came from when she worked for a company and one of the company's values was doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. but it's really important to her. Like integrity is really important to her. So I worked with her. She came to one of my workshops. I helped her through this process of how you share personal stories to communicate a company value because I really think they can be some of the most powerful. So this is the story she shared and maybe just to, I guess, experience this, pretend this person was your new manager. So whether it's new to a community or new leader, but I'm going to ask you, David, at the end, what you get from this story and what you learn about this woman and what you learn about, I guess, the values and behaviors that she is expecting from us. She says a story about her dad. She said, in the early 60s, my dad was a professional swimmer and he reached the point in his career where he actually tried out for the national swim squad. And on the day of the meet, he was apparently winning his race and he got to the end to do the tumble turn, but he slightly misjudged it and he missed the wall. Now, this was way before sensors, so no technology, but they did have judges at the end. But with all that splashing and kicking, he probably knew that they wouldn't know whether he touched the wall or not. But he had to make a split second decision. Does he go back and touch the wall or does he just keep swimming? And he decided to go back and touch the wall. Now, you don't really recover from a race when you have to do that, Mm -hmm. and he didn't. And so he never made the national swim squad. And I would sometimes ask Dad, are there any days you regret going back and touching the wall? And he would always say, I've never regretted doing that because if I didn't go back and touch the wall, I'd have to spend the rest of my life knowing I did the wrong thing. And it's only a matter of time before we will come across our own go back and touch the wall moments. Mm -hmm. And I invite you to consider what my dad would do. Mm. So I guess on hearing that, what does that story do for you? What does it tell you about this woman? I mean, for one, it just gives you a visual that's a lot more compelling than just saying do the right thing. And it makes you feel the tension of having to make that decision 
of it would be easy to just keep going. No one would notice. But having to make the decision, knowing that you are going to suffer as a result, it just kind of exemplifies a lot of the value that you're trying to communicate. And it would Mm -hmm. tell me if this is a story that this person is telling me and they're my manager that like, this is a thing that they try to embody and practice. And this is an expectation that they would have of me. Yeah. And that sums it up really nice. It's sort of through the story. It sort of says this is a value that she holds really highly. Mm. It's the expectation she has of herself, but it, the subtle message is it's also the expectation she has of right, you of working for her. And the, what you said right at the start sums up exactly what a story does. It helps you visualize it. So giving enough detail, it helps you visualize it. And then you said it makes you feel the tension. And that's exactly what a story is doing, helping people visualize it and helping people feel something. And when we achieve that, it's more likely they're going to understand it and it's more likely they're going to able to remember it. Mm, I love it. Well, I'd love to dive into actually how to come up with these stories as well and how to create great stories. I guess like one of the first things that always comes to mind for me and for a lot of people is just like, I don't really have a lot of great stories. My life's maybe not as interesting as others. I haven't had this hero's journey in my life And same thing for a lot of businesses, you know, they don't necessarily have this grand story of how they came to be or how they survived. So does everyone have an opportunity to tell a great story? Yes, the short answer is yes, absolutely. But the hesitation that you've spoken about is real. I get that a lot where a lot of people say, I just don't have any stories because I'm just normal. As in, and what they're saying is I don't have big enough stories mm-hmm. and because we're trapped into this thing of the hero's journey. Right. And I often say, don't worry about the hero's journey. You're not writing a Hollywood movie. So if you're writing a Hollywood movie, go for it. But don't dismiss the hero's journey because what it is is these sort of day-to-day stories, the things that just happen to us in our life or have happened to in our past, you might not think they're that big or that important, but they're the ones that are the most relatable. So that's what people actually really relate to. And in Anne's case, it actually wasn't even a story about her. It was a story about her Mm -hmm. dad. But sharing the story about her dad, it's almost like you can see she's been raised with this value. Mm. So, And when she tells it, she's so proud, like she's so proud. So I'll maybe spend a bit of time going through how you can find your stories. Sure. But also companies. So whether it's a company or a community, everyone has a story. Like, and it comes back to why did they start? Like if you just fundamentally ask someone to say, why does this community exist? Why does this company exist? You'll find a story. You'll find someone passionate about something. You'll find someone solving a problem around something or an opportunity. And I guarantee you, it'll be an interesting story. So when it comes down to individuals and when it comes down to communities, organizations, I sort of say, what is it that you want to find the story about? So it, normally it is around your values. So some people might people call it your brand, but it's like, what are the values? What do you stand for? What's the purpose? So being really clear on what are the messages that you want to communicate. And they normally are around the values. So if you look at a community, for example, they might have the rules around we respect everyone's opinion or Mm -hmm. we're into challenging the status quo or it's around diversity or inclusion, inclusiveness or whatever it is. Okay, so you got to find stories about them. When it comes to the individual, one a bit of homework I give people when I do my training workshops is we get a blank piece of paper and write 
from your earliest memory, write down everything you can remember. Mm. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but people will do that really quickly because they pull out the really big right. things that have happened into their life. But if you sit, like if you sit there long enough, you'll just think of random things. You'll think of random things and you, like you might go, oh my God, I don't even know why I've thought of that. Just write it down. Mm -hmm. And then it's almost like this brain dump of all these potential stories you could share. Mm. And then it's a matter of saying, so let's just say, for example, you are trying to find a story around respecting everyone. Mm -hmm. So when you look at all these stories, could you use one of them? And so it's trying to find stories specifically, or sometimes it's just thinking of the stories and going, what would that demonstrate? Mm. What could I take out of that? So it can go both ways then. You can either start with like, here's the message or the value I'm trying to communicate. Let me try to find a story. That yeah, absolutely. It goes both ways. Normally it starts with the message. Normally people sort of go, okay, we want to communicate this message or this value or this behavior, whatever it is. How to find a story. So that's normally where it starts. But what I find when people start to get really good at storytelling and start to really understand the power of it, something will happen and then they will go, oh, how could I use this mm -hmm. story? Or this would be a great story. So I'm constantly on the lookout for stories around miscommunication, how things miscommunicate. So every time I, something happens in my personal life, I go, oh, that could be a really good story around miscommunication. So it actually helps me refresh my stories around miscommunication and add to them. So depending on who I'm speaking to, I could have a handful of stories around miscommunication and depending on who I'm speaking to, I can just pick the one that I think would be the most relevant. So that works. But also just sometimes things can happen and I just stop myself going, hmm, this is a good little story. How could I use that? So I'll give you a classic example. Last year, my daughter, Alex, she got me onto wine drops. So I don't know if you've used them, but the concept is you, they come in a little bottle and you put five drops into your wine and it's meant to reduce the effects that preservatives have on you the mm. next day. So just reduce the, the effects a little bit. And I remember it was a Friday night. It was in the middle of winter. It was freezing cold. So I had just lit the fire. So I put the fire on. I opened up a bottle of Shiraz and I poured, dropped the five drops in the wine bottle and I poured myself a glass and my daughter Alex a glass. And then Alex went to refill our glass and she's standing in the kitchen holding up the wine drops and saying, mum, you didn't put these in the wine, did you? And I'm think, look at her and go, yeah, why? And she goes, because you know, these aren't wine drops, they're <laughs> eye drops. And she starts carrying on like, you've probably poisoned <laughs> us. And my first reaction was, who was the idiot that left eye drops in the kitchen right next to the red wine bottle? Like who did that? Trying to blame someone else. My next reaction was, here's a good little story. How mm -hmm. could I use that? So what I do is I actually take a photo. So I took a photo of the wine drops and the eye drops bottle that looked similar, but different because that's a memory for me. But then I go, how could I use this? And then straight away I go, oh, that would be a really good story around assumptions. Mm how we make assumptions all the time. I made an assumption that they were wine drops because they were next to the wine bottle. I did not even mm. read the label. It was a different shaped bottle. It was a different colored bottle. It was similar, but I didn't even read the label. And uh, mind you, if I had read the label, the eye drops said blink, relief in every blink. And I think on a Friday night, I would have just read that as drink, relief in every drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
But what I do is then I record it. You know, some people have an Excel spreadsheet. Mm. Some people just have right. a notebook. Some people just use the notes in their phone. And I would write something like assumptions equals wine drops, eye drops. So mm. I'm starting to capture the stories. I love that. Hmm. And something that you talk a lot about in your books that I think is helped me understand a little better too is the difference between history and heritage. And so it's like the stories you've shared so far are these kind of like anecdotes or like little funny moments or moments of tension in people's lives. But when we think about storytelling, a lot of the time people default to just kind of reciting the history of their company, of their community. Is that the idea that like you don't want to just kind of list off a timeline of events? That's not really storytelling? Yeah, it's one of the things, David, what I've noticed over the last few years because storytelling's become quite popular is that people change on their website. They change the about us section to Mm -hmm. our story and thinking calling something a story Mm. makes it a story, which doesn't. And so if you've got a timeline, it's a timeline. That's why it's called a timeline. So, you know, we started here and then we did this and then we did this and then we merged with that. A lot of companies, back to your previous question, when companies say we don't really have an exciting story, it's pretty boring. And I go, okay, well, tell me the story. What they tell me is the timeline. They start reeling Mm. off a timeline of dates and figures. And I go, right, that is boring. But then when you ask a few questions, so why did you originally start? Then you start to hear the stories. So yeah, the difference between history and heritage, and I do speak about this in the book. I, I actually had spoke to a couple of corporate anthropologists, which how cool would that be a job? A corporate anthropologist, sort of like a you know modern day Indiana Jones. And what we spoke about is the history is very much the factual, the dates, the timeline. On this date, we did this. But the heritage stories, they could be around why we did this. The heritage stories could be around, it could be an artifact, like a piece of artwork that was really important. One of the companies I interviewed for the book, and I had an amazing time interviewing so many companies from around the world for the book, was Columbia Restaurants Mm -hmm. in Florida. And I got alerted to them from a friend in one of my Americans' friends who was went to the restaurant and she sent me a photo of their menu and their menu contained all little stories. So this is the, one of the, the oldest restaurant in Florida. It's fifth generational mm. owned. And on their menu, the not only say what the food was, the item was, but there was just a tiny little story about this was, this has been cooked in our family for four generations, or this was always cooked on a Sunday night or something. So you've got the little story behind Mm -hmm. the dish. And when I researched into what they do, their wine menu is like their wine menu is about 250 pages because they have stories about the wine and the vineyards they get the wine from. They have these amazing, like a chandelier in their main restaurant, and there's a story behind the chandelier. They just have all these stories about their customers and their employees that they share and share and share. And you just read them. Even on their website, they've got an amazing story around how it started. So it really brings why they're there and their heritage and their purpose and their values to life through the stories, not just through facts and figures and Mm, key dates. I love that. And so what goes into making a story great? Your new book's called... Sorry, magnetic stories. Yeah, and so you talk about in it how there are five different kinds of magnetic stories that people can tell. So what are those five types? How do you identify a good story? 
Yeah, it might be worth this. I was trying when I was trying to come up with a title for the book. I I always have a working title, and for some reason, every book I've written, the working title has sure. never been yeah. the actual title. The, the publishers get involved, and the marketers and yeah, I can relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine how many different working titles or did you have with your book? Yeah. <laughs> Hundreds. <laughs> and we ended up using one of the first ones I came up with, what ended up being the book. Yeah. So as long as you sort of know what the book's about, exactly. I think the working title gives you that. So the working title for this book, interestingly, was Stories mm. That Bind. And what I meant by that is they bind people together. So when even when you think of a community, it's like these stories can bind us together. And I wasn't overly in love with that title, but I knew the concept. I knew the concept of what I was trying to get. Anyway, the marketing people mm. didn't like that title at all. So we pushed back to the, the drawing board. And I remember thinking what a really good story does, what a really good story does is it gives people this immediate attraction to it. It's like you immediately Mm. connect with it and it's very hard to forget and it's very hard to like then pull away from that. So that's when I thought that's exactly what a magnet is. Like a magnet is like this almost instant bang connection that's actually, you got to work hard to pull away from it. So that was the concept of magnetic stories. The time I was trying to think of the name, my husband, after I sort of settled on magnetic stories, he said to me, actually, I've got a better name for your book. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> my hopes weren't high, but I get <laughs> okay. What he went, Teflon stories. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I said, that is like the complete opposite of what I, a Teflon you don't stick, it just slides off. And he went, oh yeah, that's a good point. Forgettable stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, forgettable stories. So it did give me a good, I guess, a, when you think of your stories on a spectrum, are they magnetic or are they Teflon? <laughs> and you, you See, wanna, so it did he give helped. me that as a reference point. He did help. He did help. So that's the idea of a magnetic stories. And I do talk about the five different types. So in researching for the book, I knew there would be a certain number of stories, but without defining it, I just went and found all these stories and they did sort of fall into what I considered mm-hmm. five categories. And the first is the creation story. So that is how mm-hmm. the company started. But the reason normally called the origin story or the founder story, but the reason I called it the creation story, because it's not necessarily only how the company started, but it could also be how a product mm-hmm. started or a service started. Like, why did we start mm-hmm. doing this instead of that? So the creation story There's culture stories. So culture stories are very much around our values and behaviours. So the story I shared of Anne, when she shared the story about her dad going back to touch the wall, that's Mm -hmm. a culture story. That is, this is what we, these are our values. This is the way we do things. So when we talk, we've talked about onboarding programs, your onboarding program should just be full and full of culture stories, as well as the other stories and creation story, of course. So we've got creation, we've got culture. Then you've got community stories. So these are the stories. What are you doing in the community? It should go beyond your standard corporate responsibility type stories. And it could be even just some of your employees, stories of your employees doing great things in the community that have nothing to do Mm. with you or your company, for example, but are they doing good Mm. things in the community? I mean, in your instance, the community stories could be about the community. 
And then you've got customer stories. So how are you helping your customers? But again, going beyond just customer testimonials or referrals, but can you make the customer Mm. the hero of the story? And finally, challenge story. So throughout the history of your company or your community, what have been the challenges and how have you overcome them? And for example, if you share a story of a challenge that the community has overcome, it's probably going to be also a culture story. So my thing is don't get too hung up on whether this is a challenge story or a culture story or a customer story. Just broaden your lens, broaden the net of the different Mm -hmm. type of stories you can share. And I think that's because then it sort of tells you a, a bit about it. If David, if I can throw in another quick example, there's so many favorite stories in the book that from what companies this year. I imagine you have a lot of stories. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, that's why I said I loved writing this book because a lot of the times when I write previous books, they're, they're my stories okay. I have to mine, but I just could share so many other customer stories. But we spoke about the Columbia mm-hmm. restaurant before. This is a great example of a customer story, but what it tells you about the restaurant is amazing. So on Valentine's Day, so Columbia Restaurant used social media quite a bit, like mainly Facebook, share stories. So on Valentine's Day last year, they put a post up of a picture of a, an mm. old couple and saying, we want to celebrate all the Valentines in the world. And they shared the story about this is one of the two of their customers that have been coming to the Columbia Restaurant every single night of mm. their wedding anniversary for 72 wow. years, seven, two years. And the backstory is that they came to the Columbia restaurant on their first wedding anniversary and they came back again on their second wedding anniversary and coincidentally got seated at the same table. For the next 70 years, Columbia restaurant have reserved that table for them mm. on that date and they have come back every year. And so, and you know, they just sort of, it's a celebration of love, they talked about it which it was, but you sort of think, wow, that's a really Mm. cool restaurant that A, they do that, but B, it's so special that this couple keep coming back. So it's one of the, a lot of people that read my book, if you you just say, I really want to go to that restaurant next time I'm in Florida. (laughs) It's like, because that's what the story does. So I would say that is a customer story, but can you see how it sort of taps into a culture story because it shows you something about their values? Totally. And all the stories that you've shared in this interview so far, it seems like there's something that grabs you. Like in this one, it was like specifically when you said the number of years, you're like, oh, that's a lot of years. That's really cool. Or with the father who was in the swim race and it was like that moment of tension of making a decision. Do you find like, is there something that a story needs, like a hook or something that you can look for in So you write down all your stories, put them in a spreadsheet. There's something to look for that makes something into a compelling story that you want to try to make sure it includes? Yeah. So I think the key thing is you've got to go really specific. Like the more specific Mm. details you provide, first of all, the more real it feels, but it actually helps people visualize and feel something. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to even when they think they're telling stories is they stay at a really general level or they deal in hypotheticals. Yeah, so but you got to go specific. So the specific story of that customer that they came for 72 years. So it's providing enough detail to help people visualize and feel something, but it's not providing too much detail. 
So you got give me a specific event of this. You could imagine Anne's dad, if she had been wanting to talk about the importance of mm. doing the right thing, she could have just, if she had said something like, doing the right, I've been raised this way. It was really important to my dad. Whenever we, dad would always instill on us, do the right thing, even if no one's watching, do the right thing. And she could have kept it at a really general level, but it's only going through that one specific mm. example that makes it a story. So you've got to go specific. You've got to use words and language that help people feel something and visualize it. And the other thing is you've got to be really succinct. If you're telling a story that's going for five minutes, right. you're losing people. And so there's a real discipline in being distinct, a real succinct rather, knowing what your key message is, one single message, and then having a real discipline to say that's relevant to that mm. and that's not relevant, so I'm going to leave it out. And if once you lose that discipline, your stories are going for three, four, five minutes and they're just way too long. Yeah, I love that. So being very specific with the details, but also making sure you're succinct, not going so deep that you're missing the actual point of the story. Yeah, exactly. Some, some people just go so, they go down a rabbit hole and they go so deep and provide so much detail. And then they'll say something like, well, anyway, yeah. back to the story. It was like, why did you move away from the story? So it takes a real discipline. Absolutely. I'm not going to call out any of my family members here, but you know who you are. <laughs> yeah. And the people that start stories with, so three years ago, we went on a holiday. Oh, no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't three, it was four. Was it four? Oh no, actually it was five. It was like, I don't care. Just, I'm over it. <laughs> Obsess over the detail that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm already turned off and you haven't even started your story. Totally. Well, I could keep talking about stories all day, but we are coming up towards the end of our interview, which means it is time for the rapid fire question round, everyone's favorite part of the show. Gabriel, are you ready for the rapid fire question round? I feel I'm ready, but you know, when you admitted at the start that this is the second time we've done this. I forget the rapid fire questions. I completely forget them. So this is... It's going to be... It's going to be like as new. Exactly. I may, I may throw in some curveballs too. Let's see. And you may have changed them on me just to trick me up. <laughs> I mean, I do have to say this interview was actually quite different than our other interviews. So you never know what happens. <laughs> you do. Okay. All right. Number one. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, Vegemite toast. <laughs> I do remember that one. Vegemite on toast. It's Whenever I travel, it's the first thing, if I've been away from home for it, overseas, I come home and the first thing I make myself is Vegemite wow. on toast. Very Australian. Very Australian. Very Australian, yes. It was everywhere when I was in Australia and I'd never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, a very, very acquired yes. taste too. So the mistake people make is they put on, they use, they spread Vegemite like it's jam or peanut butter. You gotta, you gotta do a lot of butter and just a small little bit of a little bit, a little taste, little bit, just a little bit. Got it. All right. Next question: What's your favorite book to give as a gift to others or to recommend to others? And it can't be one of your own seven books. <laughs> you know what it actually is? It's my daughter's book. My daughter, I'm going to show it to you. My daughter wrote a book as a school project when she was about 14. And she not only wrote it, but she illustrated it. And it's called The Cheetah That Cannot Run. So it's a little story about a cheetah that cannot run. And I actually give that to my clients, not all my clients, ones that have got kids or have just had it. The special ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who've just had a baby. I love giving them that book because I think it's, you know. That is adorable. 
if you're going to give a gift, it's so much better than flowers or wine because they will have it for years and years and share the story with their child. I love it. And it's very personal. It's very unique to you. It is. Love it. All right. Next question. What's a great conversation starter that you like to use in groups or in communities? One of the ones I use, the question I use a lot of my workshops, and especially when we're virtual now, because, you know, you sort of everyone joins at different times and it's, we're sort of hanging around the, like the false start, not the real start, is I ask them what's their superpower. So a superpower they have. And the reason I ask that, it's besides getting people engaged, but it's starting to reveal a mm. little bit about themselves. So to be a good storyteller, sharing personal stories, you've got to be comfortable with revealing a little bit about them. And so I always set the bar very low and I sort of say, we're not low. I set the bar where I want the stories to go. And uh, I will say things like, I can cook a perfectly poached egg every single time. I can cook a perfectly poached egg. And so that sort of sets the standard where people are going, oh, I am. Um, one of my superpowers is I make the best spaghetti bolognese. Or, and so they're just revealing stuff about themselves that their colleagues don't know about as opposed to work stuff. Like I sort of say to them, if you say to me, I'm good at project management, you've got to try again. Like, give me something personal, a superpower that you have. Well, I got to ask now, how do you make a perfect poached egg? Boiling water, so a big pot of boiling water, vinegar, put in white vinegar, stir it, stir it to create a little whirlpool and then crack the egg Mm. really close to the water surface. You've got to get really down close, crack it in slowly and you could maybe do two. Don't do like five at a time. So, and three minutes. Three minutes. Oh, and then the most important thing, when you pull it out with the slotted spoon, drain it on paper towel because there is nothing worse then putting a soggy poached egg mm. on toast that makes all the toast mm. really soggy. With a little bit of Vegemite. You could try a poached egg. <laughs> I was going to say you could try a poached egg on Vegemite. Vegemite. There you go. Vegemite and avocado is a pretty good. Vegemite, avocado. Yeah. Oh, that's a little California in there. Feta cheese and a poached egg. Happy days. <laughs> See? If you waited this long in this interview through this whole podcast, you just got a whole lot of value right there. Cooking tips. That's right. All right. Next question. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? No. Mm, Okay. That's a definite no. Good to know. Good to know. Have you, David? Oh, yeah. I might be right now. Now I'm wearing slippers right now, but I do wear socks with sandals. Yeah. Okay. With my Birkenstocks. I'm one of those guys. No. If you did, if you wore that in Australia, you'd be called a bogan. That's what we call bogan. A bogan? Yeah. So like a shooby? Well, yeah, what's a shoe? Like a, just a really daggy person. Like an out-of-towner? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you're definitely not a local. <laughs> no. I grew up in a beach town. So if I wear socks with sandals there, they'll, they'll definitely call me a shooby. But they'd be wrong because I grew up there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Next question. What's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of? I'm part of this community, it's called Thought Leaders Business School, and it's literally a bunch of people like myself that run our own business. What's weird about it, and weird in a good way, is we openly talk about money because we, what you're earning, because to give advice to someone, it depends on where they're at. We openly share what we're working on. Like there's no, even though there could be people in that community that are sort of doing mm-hmm. similar things to us. So it's, it's really, it's non-competitive mm. at all. It's really supportive. 
And so when you say weird, it's a good weird, but it's unusual. Mm, it is unusual, but that's cool. Mm. I love spaces where people genuinely feel like they can just be open and say exactly what's on their mind or be very transparent and not have to worry about competition or judgment, anything like that. It's unusual, but super hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, when you run your own company, it's hard to find a network that can help you with that. Totally. And there's so much like perception that goes into it of like trying to manage your reputation and you want your business to be perceived as successful. You want people to want to work for you and with you. And so you're always a little... Yeah. You can go into this community and go, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Those are valuable. I've had those for my career and they're invaluable for sure. Mm. All right. Last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice for the rest of the world on how to live, what would that advice be? I might have to steal a quote and I would, it would probably be yourself, everybody else is taken. Mm. And that is, I've got a, it's from Oscar Wilde. I've got it written on a coffee mug. Mm. Be yourself, everybody else is taken. Why is that your advice? I just think there's way too many people that pretend to be someone else. There's way too many people that sort of go, I want to be like them. And it's good to have role models and aspire to people, but have the courage mm. to be yourself. It's, um, and I guess a lot of the time I work in the corporate world and I see people who act completely different in the corporate world as they do outside. And I get there might be slight differences, the language you use, for example, but yeah. fundamentally you should be the same person. So mm. let's just, it's, you know, whenever people go for job interviews and they go, final bit of advice, I go, just be yourself. Like, but, you know, it's hard work trying to pretend mm. to be someone else. It's, it's unsustainable. So yeah, I should, you know, unless you're a complete dickhead, then maybe pretend to be someone else. <laughs> <laughs> be someone else. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Awesome. Well, great note to end on. Um, and finally, where can people go to continue to learn from you and find your books and all of your writing? Yeah. So connect with me on LinkedIn on there, Gabrielle Dolan, but also my website, gabrieldolan.com. You can access all my books. You you can download free chapters to see which one you like. There's also what could be really valuable is from my website, there's a seven-day storytelling starter kit. So it's free. And what you do is when you subscribe, you'll get an email from me once a day for seven days and it contains a really short video and it's just designed to sort of help you start thinking about how you could find your stories, where you could share them. And then of course you'll stay on my uh, database. And I try to write a blog once a week. I say try, but you know, I get there most times, but you know, that's the place to go, gabrieldolan.com. That's awesome. Well, I highly recommend everyone does that because there are so many things we did not get to dive into on this interview. Gabriel, you're a wealth of knowledge and Really grateful for your time and your sharing your wisdom with me and the community. I've learned a ton from you. I mean, even since we've chatted last, I just like storytelling has just been in my head and I just keep finding opportunities to bring it into my day-to-day work building community and managing my team. And it's really good stuff. So highly recommend going to gabrieldolan.com, finding that playbook and, and all of your books. Lots and lots for all of you to learn. Thanks so much, Gabriel. Thanks, David. And don't delete this one. (laughs) I'll try. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.